you know, we, we have to continue to look. Polyamory is, you know, the, the definition talks about other people, but it's so much about yourself. Mm. So much oh, about yeah. you looking in the mirror and looking at your own shit, noting your own shit. When I was in a monogamous marriage, more than one of them, <laughs> when there was things that made me uncomfortable or made the partner uncomfortable, we simply did not talk about them. We hid them. We put them aside. And, and now, oh, I did it totally different. Ours I was, was who yelled the longest, the loudest one. So we were both very bad at monogamy. So don't, don't, we have no advice there. <laughs> no advice. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we are talking with Dan and Don Williams about their new book, The Polyamory Toolkit, as well as their history of podcasting about polyamory now for 10 years um, and recording almost 500 episodes. Um, they uh, were our original podcast network that we were part of way back in the day when we were just getting started. Um, they do the Erotic Awakening podcast. Um, as well as co-creating Beyond the Love, and um, have spoken at tons of events. They're almost to 500 episodes, and they've just got some really cool stuff to share um, that we end up talking about in this episode. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to them, especially after, you know, not only have they been podcasting about this stuff and presenting about this stuff for over 10 years, but they've also been practicing a non-monogamous relationship for 20 years. Yeah, you know, I think that's they've amazing. been together for longer than 20 years, but have been non-monogamous for 20 years. Um, right. So it is always really nice to talk to people who have that many years of experience under their belt of, you know, functioning non-monogamy and polyamory um, to glean some of their wisdom. Yeah, I think it is really interesting. Like, even if you've been doing it, I mean, Dedeker, you've been practicing polyamory for 10 years now, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And yet I know like all of us multiple times on this episode, we're like, whoa, that's really good advice. Or like, mm -hmm. wow, that's a that's a good tool from the toolkit. And so it is nice to to know like the evolutionary process of one's like journey within relationships in general, like is still evolving and is still moving forward. And, and they really like kind of exemplify that, I think. Yeah, it's really cool to get to talk to people who are also very um, forthright and very honest about their own journey, right? That yeah. of the things they tried that didn't work, <laughs> instead of just like, we have all the answers because we've mm -hmm. written a book, you know, that it's more about like, this is our real experience that we've had. Here's what we've learned. Here's what we wish we had known back then. Um, right. So yeah, and I, I hope that it is helpful for all of y'all out there. Uh, and shall we, shall we get Cut to the feeling? Shall we cut to the feeling? I mean, yeah, get to the, to the feeling. Okay. All right. We are here with Dan and Don of Erotic Awakening. Thank you two so much for taking the time to come speak with us today. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. The pleasure to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a few it's years, been a bit. right? 
It has. It's been quite a while. We talked to you guys when your little baby podcast. I know. You're absolutely right. Hundreds of episodes and all that stuff. We're only yeah. slightly larger baby podcasters now. <laughs> At least that's how I think about it. Um, well, and we're halfway to the amount of episodes that y'all are at i think at this point now yeah about that. yeah it's true quite we're, amazing yeah we're almost 250 but the twos mm-hmm. of you are about to hit 500 which is amazing yeah, yeah that's we're getting incredible close, getting close yeah i always tell people like people ask us you know they're impressed with 250 and i'm always like it's a freaking miracle that yeah. <laughs> we've been able to create like you know meet every single week and create that much content and i imagine with 500 episodes i'm like oh my goodness like double miracle it feels like one of the challenges that our poly partners have is that if they have conversations with us, they have to say, and don't talk about this on the podcast. Mm, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Right, right. I think we're pretty good about that. Although yeah. I think I've had some of those conversations before. Yeah. yeah. Some partners of mine. Yeah. Anyway, I will just dive in here. Um, the two of you have been involved in the polyamory community, the kink community, um, producing content, producing workshops, producing podcasts, producing books for this community for decades. And so I'm wondering this latest book, The Polyamory Toolkit, what inspired you to finally write this particular book? What was it that made you think like, okay, it's the time to write, put this particular content out into the world? Well, probably because we wish we had had a book like that at the beginning. Mm. So we never found a lot of tools. What we found was a lot of people talking about jealousy, but not really having any methods to get through it. And then mm-hmm. we would stumble across this tool and then stumble across something else that helped us and then something else. And we wrote a workshop called the eight poly tools. And then we'd find a few more. And now we've got a workshop called eight poly tools and eight more poly tools. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, so it's like, okay. And then a lot of people asking us the same questions. So it's like, okay, it's time to get this in writing and get it out there so it goes to more people. Right. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not your first book. You've put out a couple books before this. We have. Yeah, we we wrote a book about power exchange. That was our first book. And that was of a similar band to say, look, this is not the truth. This is not the only way. This is our experience. This is how we've done things in the power exchange world. And then we took a break and we wrote uh, some, uh, I forget the, how you, the nice way to say porn. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think erotica, 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 erotica is yeah. the classy way. Although I have to say that was a fun book as well, because half of the, what we did was we took some stories of things that Don and I have done, some adventurous things that we've done. And we changed the names. Mm. And then we took some purely fictional stories of things that either we've talked about doing or we'd I like to do. <laughs> or just, hey, that's just something fun to write about. And we put a key in the back of the book so people could say, of the 10 stories, which ones do you think we've actually done? Uh, which ones do oh, done? interesting. Yeah, right. it's kind of fun. But, but now the key's wrong because it oh. was five we've done and five we wish we had. And now it's eight we've done. And Nice. <laughs> nice. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Right. And until I can fly a blip, number 10 just isn't happening. <laughs> Gosh, such aspirations, my yeah, goodness. Yeah, wow. <laughs> okay, so so was writing this book, The Polyamory Toolkit, more challenging or less challenging than writing porn? Oh. It was way less challenging. <laughs> yeah. Really? really? Yeah. yeah, because it just, when when you get into the space of, again, what we're writing about is things that we've experienced, right? So it's it's 
you get into that space of telling your story and saying, and each one of the, each one of the tools says, starts with, here's a situation we were in and it's followed by, and here's the tool that we had to develop to get us Mm. out of that situation or to help us with that situation. So, and it's, and it's Dan's viewpoint and my viewpoint, which can be a little different. So, and we wrote our first book like that too. So it's from, from each viewpoint and some tools worked more for me. So I had more to say and some tools, you know, worked more for Dan. So he had more to say. So, and yeah, so it it was, I think it was easier. Whereas the erotic one, it's all one voice and it's all one story. So Mm. it's a little hard. And and writing non, writing fiction is a lot Harder than I. I mean, I knew the the curtains were green. Did I have to put that on paper too? Can you visualize what I see? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So sorry. I just have one more like meta book writing question before we dive yeah, into the do. content of this book. Um, the three of us are starting to work on writing a book. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. We're in the process of pulling together a book proposal. Um, and this is maybe a little bit of a selfish question to waste our listeners' time with, but what are your recommendations for co-writing? So we actually got the, the way we decided to put our book together. We were trying to come up with a single voice. Yeah. And it just didn't work because there's not a single voice that Don and I share. And I came across a book by um, John Cleese and B.F. Skinner. Where, hmm. um and another book that I, I read very recently that's very similar to this is a uh, Bernie uh, oh. Goldman and Jeff Bridges, the dude in the Zen master. Well, there wow. was also Dossie Easton and Janet Hardy with Radical Ecstasy, which is where we got our first book idea from. So, so what happens is instead of just having to have one voice, like in the first book that I mentioned, John Cleese would ask a, a famed psychiatrist some questions and he would respond and john would reflect back and say well here's what i think about that interesting yeah so don said let's let's do that let's say here's so if we talk about um what it's you know if you're mad at your metamor how do you handle it here's my viewpoint and here's how i would handle it and don says you know what i come at it from a different perspective i was raised different i'm I have a variety of things that make me different. My metamorphs are different. My so here's how right. I look at that kind of thing. And we try, and most of the time there's common ground. Most of the time it's the same tool. But as I mentioned, some of those, um, Dawn finds journaling to be super important. So she talks about journaling a lot. I don't journal as much. So I say, well, here's where, you know, here's where I find it valuable. But Mace, Dawn will tell you more about it, right? Other tools, they work the other way. So for you guys to sit down there, how do I keep my voice but it to become a cohesive voice. Um, then create, set up a crazy deadline, realize how close you are and get a hotel room for a weekend and do nothing but write. Great. <laughs> Perfect. We, did. We, had, we had a Google drive. We had uh, Dan's completed, Dawn's completed. And then we would hmm. them, take mine. I would take his and we'd respond to them. And then we took a weekend in a hotel, all three books. We've done this weekend in a hotel, huge post-it notes up on the wall. Hmm. And, Lay out your your chapters and go. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. So yeah, well, that's a little bit further down the road for us. We're still in proposal territory. Mode, yes. Kind of getting, kind of cutting our teeth, just pulling the proposal together. But Mm -hmm. but yeah. Decide also decide if you're going to talk from experience, you know, Mm -hmm. and that these are experiential stories, or if you're going to have theory in there as well, because some books have theory about this is how it should happen. This is how 
blah, blah, blah. Or is it going to be the actual experience, which is what ours is. We have no shoulds in there. This is what hmm. we did. This worked or didn't work. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I think That's... our podcast is a little bit of both for sure. So that'll be interesting yeah. to kind of make a decision there or if it'll go in that direction as well. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive into some of the actual content of this new book of yours. And I read an excerpt on your website that was about managing surprises in non-monogamy. <laughs> and now early on in my own foray into non-monogamous relationships, I read about a couple who essentially made this rule, like their only rule was no surprises. And yeah. At the time that Sounds I read really it, challenging. well, at the time that I read it, I thought it was brilliant. I was like, that makes so much sense. Like, it's just so easy. Just no surprises. Great. And then I actually got into a non-monogamous relationship and realized how potentially challenging that is. And so what are your thoughts on handling surprises or unexpected turns? Should it be a hard and fast, no surprises policy? Like, what's your take on that? Well, well, I think it's more, instead of no surprises, it's more about managing surprises because there are going to be surprises. Things that I think are a given or Dan thinks are a given will end up being a surprise to the other person. Or we think we shared it with this partner, but we really <laughs> shared it with that partner. Oh, God. Yeah. On the yeah. Tell all the partners or, you know, there's going to be surprises. So it, it's for us, it's about managing them because some of us don't like to be out of the loop. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a, it's a trigger or whatever word you want to use for some, it's a trigger for some, it's just uncomfortable. If they're, if they're out of the loop, um, it, I, I just want to know what's going on, even though I don't need to be asked permission or anything. I just want to be in the loop. I don't want to walk in a room and see something with somebody that I had no clue about. Yeah. We found out early on that the way to give your other partners a update on a relationship change is not via Facebook. Yes. Don't just update Facebook and say, oh yeah. And then, um, but to, in order to see the, the trick is, and this is where um, one of the things I wish I'd learned early on in polyamory is about having the courage to bring that stuff to your partners right up front. We think that we need to protect our partners and that we want, we're being kind to them and courteous to them and saying, you know what, I don't think that this relationship I have with cats really going anywhere. So, you know, I'll just mention, oh yeah, I met a girl, you know, <laughs> and then suddenly Dawn sees me at an event with, and I'm sliming all over and we're hanging out and we're making goo goo eyes at each other. And she's like, wait, I, I, I thought you were just, you met her but it looks like you've really got something going on there. It's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I guess so, but I didn't want you to be concerned about it. The idea of managing surprises is just be upfront and over-communicate some, right? It's So you don't do your Facebook profile update <laughs> to say I'm dating somebody new before you tell your partners. And if I tell Dawn, you know, if I, if I start flirting with somebody and it looks like it might go somewhere, I really quickly tell my other partners, hey, by the way, I'm talking to Linda Lou and Things may or may not go anywhere, but I want you to know I'm kind of engaged in talking to them. Dawn doesn't mind who I date, and my other partners mm -hmm. don't mind who I date, but it's never comfortable to walk into a situation where suddenly you see one of your partners sitting on somebody's lap that you had it totally comes out of left field, yeah. right? Or you find out from that other person that they've been texting you or, you know, or something just weird. So I, I actually do a boy-girl report every now and then to my partners to let them know who I'm flirting with, who I'm talking to, 
you know, how my relationships are, you know, what kind of status they're in or, or, or whatever, just, just to keep everybody updated. And it reminds me to communicate. Can I, can I ask for like, can you run us through what does this boy girl report look like? Yeah, because we have, and how often it happens, is it just every single time you're interested in someone or every single time a new partner comes kind of into the into the fold, or, I guess? Or once a month, or like, how does that yeah. go? I actually do it daily. Oh, wow. It's, oh. it's so that I can check in with myself as well as to how each of my relationships are going. Because if I'm, if I do my, okay, so Big D, who is what I call my boyfriend, um, if Big D, uh, we've been dating for six years, so I'm going to look at that relationship this morning. How's it going? Okay. Well, okay. It's not, it's okay, but let's have it be better. So what do I need to do to nurture it? So I actually kind of look at that daily. Like I said, I'm so busy. If I don't, my relationships suffer. Hmm. So, and then I send it to my partners, how they're going. I mean, Yeah. Is it like a like a report card? Like, uh, you know, you're doing satisfactory right now, but there's room for improvement. <laughs> it's more about it's more about me and how I'm feeling in the relationship. So, right. you know, I, and I just send it to my. The uh, mm, so language is going to be an issue here, probably, maybe, sort of. We'll see. I send it to my primary partners. So, the 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 ones that are not primary aren't really interested. So. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure we'll come back to that one we'll in a second. We'll come back to that. I'm sure, you know, not everybody uses the same, same language I do. For me, the, the girl report or the, the um, I guess now mine's a gender neutral report, is I have four partners that I am currently engaged in some way. Two long-term, one fairly new, and one kind of a, um, a returning person. <laughs> I'm not sure what that looks like. And really for what I do is I try to send this every day. Just in a lot of, most of the time it's a single word. Yeah. You know, how are things with, with Karen? I put good cat. Great. Um, Dawn. Dawn. I know yeah. I include Dawn. <laughs> yeah. you know? oh, wow. If I have a date with somebody coming up and, oh, yeah. you know, we, we try and manage our calendar, but if, I, oh, by the, you know, if it's in the next couple of days, I say, Oh, got a date with the boy on, Thursday, just a little reminder there. Um, Even though it's already on our Google calendar, we're getting old -er, and (laughs) and we're busy. So we try to keep each other updated and send reminders. Yep. So That's lovely. Wow. It's a lot of communication. It is is a lot of communication. But, you know, when we got started in polyamory, what they told us, you're like, oh, how do we do this polyamory? People are like, well, communicate, communicate, communicate. Okay. Well, what, what the hell does, what that, does mean? that mean? Right. So the managing supplies is the boy girl report. That's just, it's not uh, intended to be problematic or to keep an eye on each other. It's a matter of, Hey, I want you to know what's going on in my life. Cause somebody's got to let the dog out. And if it didn't work, we wouldn't do it. Yeah. There, there's some tools we've tried and I don't know that I could list them at this point that we've dropped because they don't work. So. Right. Do you also tend to update people on like other aspects of your life that aren't necessarily relationship focused? Do you do that at the same frequency as you do like your other partners or is it that mostly the thing that you do on a daily basis? Well, things that I send to Dan because we're also nesting partners, mm-hmm. I send him a lot more than I send to Big D. So um, Big D lives 90 minutes away. He, he likes to hear. At first, it annoyed him that I would send him, hey, here's what I'm doing this week, just to keep you in the loop. I like to be in the loop. 
he can find it annoying. So, <laughs> so, um, but now if I forget to tell him, he misses it. So he's mm. gotten used to, you know, what it is am I doing? And then um, the girlfriend, she's very long distance. So she just gets a, a slight recap every now and then as much as she wants. So. Got it. Okay. But, Dan gets a lot. He finally complained, <laughs> so I shortened it up quite a bit. <laughs> nice. That's lovely. So <laughs> let's uh, kind of dive into some of the things within your book. I okay. The first one that you talked to us about was the and, not or. So can you kind of elaborate on that? Because this is one of the tools, correct, that's yeah. in your book? Right. So there's, there's 25 and, tools and real quick managing surprises, boy, girl mm-hmm. report also tools in the book. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. That's also those aspects, but go ahead right. for A not or. So, so and not, or I really wish we had learned this or I had learned this early on. I've only learned this in the last couple of years, not even sure how we figured this out, but a lot of my jealousy issues are the fear is the fear of being rejected or the fear of being replaced right? So that's where a lot of mine comes in. And um, this whole idea, when I started, Dan and I started dating together, and then we started dating separately. And when we started dating separately, it was really hard. And it was a long time before I found my own other partner. And Dan was finding everybody. Anyway, once I found found mine, a lot of the stuff started clicking that he was telling me. You know, even though I understood it, now I really understood it. And the thing was, is that everything is an and, right? So I have Dan and Big D. I'm in love Mm. with Dan and Big D. He's in love with me. And it doesn't diminish anything from the other relationships. So anytime that Dan starts dating somebody new, or if Big D starts dating somebody new, or the girlfriend, I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say, I don't know if I have her permission to say her name. So we'll just say the girlfriend. Um, <laughs> anytime I think about that and I think, oh my gosh, what if they like that person more? But wait a minute, hmm. they're just adding things in. This is an and, this is not a replacement. Yeah. I, for me, I mean, right now, um, I date, I started a while ago, I started dating somebody who's had very different sexual taste <laughs> than dawn does i think i could say that on your podcast yeah, right? absolutely yeah oh, oh yeah. sure yeah. very good yes okay. thank you, you yes buzzword and awesome. in that um where this new partner was more of a fan of your classical romance books dawn is more of a fan of perhaps of f- freaky freaky I was gonna yes. So okay. think, I was gonna say Fifty Shades of Grey is for this. The, is this literally about their literary tastes? Or are we talking in like metaphor here? Oh no, no. Dawn, Dawn's all kinky and shit, and the new girl's not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. No, when Dawn stuck with us, oh my god, I thought you liked the kinky, freaky, deaky stuff, but now you're dating somebody whose you know idea of if uh, kinky is leave the lights on. Mm. So I guess you like that now instead of this, and that comes mm. from our old monogamous thinking, right? If I mm. like. If, and it's, it's stupid if we think about it from a perspective of, I don't like chicken or fish, I can like them both. Mm-hmm. And I don't even identify that I like one better than the other. It's like, sometimes I'm in the mood for one or the other. But I didn't get it until I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when just having that terminology of and not or to recognize that these are things that are added to our relationships, not things that we're 
you know, replacing or because, again, a lot of people have this fear of the reason for polyamory is because I'm not enough. You wouldn't need another partner if I was enough. And that's not the reality of it. The reality of it is, and means there's just additional types of stuff. Another tool in the book is that this is kind of related to, specifically for male-bodied American people, we're taught going into relationships that if you cannot, if you are not the number one sexual dynamo in your woman's life, she will immediately leave you and needs, you know, because that's what women need is, you know, a strong, virile guy who knows all the tricks. Mm-hmm. And if, if you let your, and this is what we were taught, right? At least, well, if you I were. don't know, in, <laughs> in my part of America, this is what male-bodied people were taught, that if you let your woman go off and sleep with another guy, they're going to leave you and you'll be high and dry. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of programming that you have to deprogram yourself for. And part of it, this idea, this concept of and not or, uh, kind of led into another concept in the book where, where I talk about experience, you know, how he, it's, uh, it's okay for Dawn to go off and have wonderful, fantastic sex with someone else. And it doesn't mean it replaces the sex that I have with her, that it's better, that it's worse. So the whole, the, the tool is not comparing sex to recognize that if Dawn and I dance in the middle of the room here, she can't have that dance with anyone else ever. It can't exist. Other people dance differently. Other people dance to different music. Other people bring great things to the dance, but it's not what Dawn and I bring together. So, I, you know, again, that, that, that another metaphor there, obviously, <laughs> goes into sex. Dawn has wonderful sex with Big D, but it's not the sex that her and I have. So mm-hmm. this idea of comparing them, right? You got to get away from comparing and accept what we each have is a beautiful thing, and that takes away from, from that that need to cling and that need to be, you know, terrible thing I do early in our relationship is when I would have sex with Dawn after she started to see someone new, I would spend a lot of my time thinking about, does the new guy do this? Does the new guy do that? Oh, I bet the new guy doesn't know this trick from, and I end up, I was having sex with the new guy instead of Dawn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. No, that's a great. That's, that is a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's that did, incredibly um, accurate. That did jog my memory when Don was sharing that I did remember a time somewhat early on in my own journey when a partner of mine would start dating someone new. And I remember my thought process being like, oh, I guess he's into that now. Right. Like this person who has these hobbies and this hair and this kind of sense of fashion and these you know, um, and like, likes this kind of food, almost as though like, I remember almost thinking of myself almost as though like I was like, a fashion trend or something and being like, Oh, well, the trends are changing. Now I'm a fad. And now he's onto this trend. And I like, now at this point, I'm like, that's so ridiculous to think of myself that way as though it's like, Oh, my partner suddenly shifted. And now his interests are just this other person now. It was so Um, real at the time. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, Dan and I had figured this compatibility that, that I'm like, Oh, I'm finally, you know, he, he's just as kinky as I am. This is, this is perfect. And now he's with someone that's not. And, Oh, I can't be, if if he wants that for me, there's no way I can do that. So, Oh, I hope he's okay with both. Cause Mm. (laughs) that's the Mm. only way it's going to work. And his relationship with the other person lasted a long time. (laughs) Many, many years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. I I have another... Well, that prompted another question about sex and the sexual comparison thing that someone someone close to me once asked me in relation to, you know, having multiple partners. He, He asked me, he was like, wait, so but what if like your partner came to you and said, hey, by the way, my other girlfriend gives a much better blowjob um, and first of all, there's all, so many problems just with that hypothetical scenario, right? And so many questions of like, why are they saying that? Is there a problem? Like, is that like, you know, does this person want to give me tips on how to improve? Like, like what's going on? Or is this person trying to make me feel shitty? Like, I don't know. Um, but I think that is interesting that, you know, like Dan was saying that we are kind of taught, like, if you're not the most sexually impressive person that your partner's with, like there's no way you're going to hang on to them. I think Mm -hmm. women get that too. I don't know about your experience, Donna or Emily or whatever, but I know that I did for a long time, especially monogamous relationships kind of feel like you got to be down for whatever, because if you can't do exactly what he wants, like you're going to get kicked to the curb or he's going to go find someone who does. And that's really not a mindset that encourages like having boundaries and having limits and yes. knowing what you like or what you don't like. Mm-hmm. No, agree. And you know, this leads me to the, one of the sections of the book that is, does talk about that polyamory is not all about sex. Um, and I know that that's probably going to sound funny from us after we talk about our book, <laughs> the sex book and all the kinky stuff. But the reality is Dawn and I are both on the plus side of 50 and although not all of our partners are, um, it is an interesting thing to recognize that we are biological constructs that if sex is the only basis to your relationship, you may have built yourself into a short-term relationship. Mm. Secondarily, I have had and do have multiple polyamory partners, and they are polyamory in every sense of the word, that I've never engaged in sexual congress with (laughs) a great deal of intimacy, but it doesn't involve my penis going in anybody's places and it doesn't need to. Um, 
So although polyamory is, has, has brought great, wonderful, exciting, changed um, style and, and variety in sex and all the sex I could want, it also isn't about sex in that there are non-sexual partners are real partners too. Uh, I think that's, for me, that's kind of an important message as well to say that mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see polyamory is compared a lot with swinging. And I think that for me, this is where the, one of the clear distinctions is. I don't know what swinging without sex looks like, mm. but I know what polyamory without sex looks like. And it's still pretty great. Yeah. I mean, that's something whenever I'm being interviewed, uh, like about relationship anarchy or about polyamory. And if I sense that the interviewer is going a lot toward the sex-based questions, I usually like to pull out a very similar example to that of talking about a partner that I had for a long time who was effectively asexual. We did have sex at some point in our relationship, but it was few and far between and was not a central part of our relationship for years. And it kind of, they're like, oh. And I almost feel like, especially coming from me, who seems like a fairly young, virile guy, that they're like, oh, that must be your only point for doing any of this. And it does kind of rock their world a little bit to be like, oh, Mm. oh, I didn't even consider that. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or they don't consider, like we said, we're on the other side of 50 now. And um, there are going to be, we're going to get older. Does that mean we're not poly anymore if we lose our sex drive? Mm. I, to me, it just doesn't work like that. And like you said, people just don't consider that part. They think it's all an orgy, which. Yeah, they do. Nice, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. I, I want to take us to another section from your book that uh, you mentioned before, which is this idea of uncomfortable versus wrong. Mm-hmm. And this, I love this because this is something we talk about a lot on this show of kind of how to introspect and get to those things of like, what's, it's like the difference between what's uncomfortable because I just started running again and I'm sore versus what's mm-hmm. uncomfortable because I twisted my ankle and I need to be careful to not damage it. Yeah. That's a yeah. great, great. Yeah. And, and there, there's also the thought and um, I'm only jumping in cause I don't have a piece of paper and I'll lose my train of thought. Yeah. Go for <laughs> but, it. Um, so the uncomfortable versus wrong. This is also another one of those new ones. I wish we had learned at the beginning because there's a lot of stuff that's uncomfortable as you grow, as you meet new people, as your partners meet new people, as things change, there's a lot of uncomfortable, but we don't have the word for it. I didn't have the word for it, the word uncomfortable. So everything just felt wrong. And when it feels wrong, I put that on the other person. The mm-hmm. other person is doing something wrong. The other person is creating this emotion. Instead of uncomfortable, which is all mine. Mm. And when it's all mine, then I can work on it, right? If it feels wrong, then I'm attacking the other person and putting them on the defensive. Whereas if it's uncomfortable, it's like, oh, crap, there's that feeling again. Oh, wait, it's uncomfortable. It's not necessarily wrong. Everything's in the parameters that we set or whatever that they're not doing anything wrong. So what is this and what can I do? Mm -hmm. Is there a way in which you distinguish between the two? Um, What I do, yeah, it's for me, I just run it through my head real quick in a, um, you know, try and sit in a place of logic for a moment and say, all right, here's my expectation. So one of my partners, Karen, started to date a guy named L. And she says, oh, me and L are going to go to a country music 
uh, concert. And I was like, well, you don't like country music. She says, oh, yeah, I do. You just didn't know that about me. And he's going to take me there on the back of his Harley Davidson. I said, you don't like motors. Oh, no, I love motorcycles now. Oh, by the way, Harley Davidson's, they're kind of like big vibrators that we ride around all over the place. (laughs) And I felt very, I felt really shitty about this. And I was like, God damn it. How dare she do these things? And I had to step back for a moment and think, all right, all right, let me think. I have agreements with Karen that here's how we're going to communicate. Here's how we're going to, here's how we treat each other. Um, Dating other guys. Well, you know, that, that's, that's within our little boundaries. Uh, riding on motorcycles. I've never said anything about that before. <laughs> Going to country music, what do I care? I don't, matter of fact, I love the fact that she has a boyfriend to go see country music. I don't have to go. <laughs> uh-huh. But I still felt very icky about it. So, I, so there's where I get the distinction between wrong and uncomfortable. Wrong is something where Don and I agree. Um, if you're, you are going to go see a new partner, you're going to have sex, great. You're going to be... Uh, very, you got to practice the highest level of safer sex. If Don came came back and said, you know what, we forgot about that stuff. We just had uh, unprotected sex. I could say that's wrong, right? We have very clear ethical guidelines of what we, uh, along that kind of things. Maybe not ethical guidelines, but uh, mm, agreements with our partners, the way we want to treat each other. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's the wrong stuff. Uncomfortable is when they're doing things that they're supposed to do, and I feel icky about it. And I say, oh, look, that's my, that's me and my shit. That's the problem. Me and my shit. Yep. And yeah. it's just easier to work on when you can define it like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just so powerful to be able to look at that because I can remember being angry and pointing my finger at a partner going, I can't believe you did this thing. And they're like, but you've never said you didn't want me to do this thing. And, and you do that thing all the time. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> you're right Thanks yeah it's a that... reflection yeah <laughs> but, but when you can wrap your head around the idea ah what i feel is uncomfortable then i could say look partner i don't it's there's nothing wrong with the fact you're doing these things but damn if it still hurts how about mm. can you sit with me for a little bit and help me process my shit because damn, not you have to process it for me right right not that they yeah. have to process but but I want them to be my partner and hang out with me for a little bit and say, I want you to go have a good time, do the things you want to do. But do you have a couple minutes that we can talk about how icky, how icky I'm feeling? Not that you're doing something that's wrong, but that I suddenly have discovered looks like I have some jealousy or looks like I have some envy or some, what's that new one? Uh, FOMO? Fear of missing out. Yeah. Well, that, that leads into three more tools I could mention, and I'm not going to, so unless you bring them up, because we do have so many, and we, we put them in the book separately, but many of them work together, right? right. So when we have the whole, um, you know, uh, FOMO or, or whatever, you know, there, there's other tools and other tricks that we use to get past this uncomfortableness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, that idea of using logic not as a way to make the feelings go away, but just to kind of check them, you know, just to kind of figure out what they are. Because we can be very emotional people. And um, that, that, that um, tool is called manual mode, by the way. So Hmm. that's in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Hang on. Here's my thing though, is I find my own shit is very slippery and I Mm -hmm. hope no one takes that quote out of context um but (laughs) but you get what i mean like my own interpersonal shit my own inner stuff and baggage i find it can be very slippery because 
I will do something like, oh, okay, so my partner just like did something and I feel a little icky about it. I feel uncomfortable. And we'll do that mental checklist like Dan was talking Mm -hmm. about, like, no, like that's, you know, that's within the bounds of our relationship. And no, that doesn't cross a boundary. You know, that's okay. You know, we've agreed this is above the board. But the way they told me, that's where it went wrong. That was what the thing was. No, no, no. They shouldn't have told me that way. They should have changed their communicate. Like, I find that's what I find is I feel like I'm constantly having to kind of try to get two steps ahead. And it's like my mm-hmm. own baggage also tries to get two steps ahead. It's like it always wants to find a way to to make the other person wrong sometimes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So been there. <laughs> and it's, it's a challenging thing when we, you know, we, we have to continue to look. Polyamory is... A, you know, the, the definition talks about other people, but it's so much about yourself. Mm. So much oh, yeah. about you looking in the mirror and looking at your own shit, noting your own shit. When I was in a monogamous marriage, more than one of them, <laughs> when there was things that made me uncomfortable or made the partner uncomfortable, we simply did not talk about them and we hid mm. them and we put them aside. And, and now... Oh, I did it totally different. Ours I was, was who yelled the longest, the loudest one. So we were both very bad at monogamy. So don't, don't, we have no advice there. <laughs> so okay, let's do maybe one or two more of the tools in your book, and uh, the next one would be the place of assistance. I like the idea of this. Yeah, can you can you elaborate on that one? So that one would actually work very well. That's one of the ones I was going to mention with the whole uncomfortable versus wrong, because when you ask a partner for help, that's what you're asking for is, is asking them to come from a place of assistance. So um, let's say, uh, let's say Dan had a, um, I, we call it a wham moment in the book, which is a, what about me moment, which is wham. So, and I, I said a story one time and I could feel the shift in energy that Dan had, which means I knew it affected him. And I'm like, Hmm, did I just say something? And he's like, don't worry about it. It's just a wham moment. It's just a, what about me? moment." He's like, I like that. I got this. And I'm like, is there anything I can do? Is there any way I can assist you shifting through this wham moment? And he's an internal processor. So he's like, no, no, I got this. I'm an external. So I'm like, uh, uh, are, are you sure? Are, are, are you sure? He's like, got it. So, but we always try to offer or to come from a place of assistance, not to take the whole thing on ourselves. Yeah. The, the trick is when, especially people that are new to polyamory that, that are, that have an existing relationship and they're branching out of that, uh, the one person may feel a desire to be very protected and say, you know what, if you're going to go on a date, come back after an hour. And it's like, well, maybe come back after four hours and, and, you know, don't leave the city and don't leave the state and don't go to my favorite restaurant. Like, like, like we said, we're talking about experience. So. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. We had a variety of things that we were doing. And what I was trying to do is to, um, you know, Dawn with Dawn, we early on we had this thing where dates can't be longer than four hours. If, if it's longer than four hours, I don't know if you're going to come back. And instead it of <laughs> it was rough, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, in, and what I would do is I would say, okay, I'll just live with that. That it's only going to be four hours. But he but got resentful. I got and resentful. He, the people the I was seeing got, got resentful, resentful yeah. right? And instead of that, what Dawn actually wanted or needed me to do 
was when she says, look, I can't, you know, I feel very jealous when you're seeing this person. It makes me feel really crappy for me to say, oh, man, I'm sorry about that. You are a partner of mine, too. How can I help you with your feelings? How can I help you with that feeling of crappiness? By the way, I'm still going to go off on this overnight date. And I know that you hate dates that are over four hours. So what can I do to make that experience less terrible for you? So you have the balance. Place of assistance says, I'm going to, we have an agreement that I have to, I get to do and I'm supposed to do and we're supposed to do who we are. And sometimes that means overnight dates and sometimes it means this and that. But we also have an agreement with each other to, to be partners to each other. So to sit there and say, look, I'm going to do the thing I'm, I'm going to do, but I'm it's not going to. It's in our agreement. It's in our whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, but I'm not going to do valid. it to you. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to sit here and help you with whatever it is that you need help. If, you're, if the place of assistance means, you know what, go, can you at least check in with me every four hours? Well, sure, that's, that's reasonable. That's a thing I can do to help you. But what I really want to do is sit here and help you process your emotional state. And, and maybe I can, if you want to come up, help you come up with a plan, what are you going to do to make that time suck less? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't suck so much anymore. It's been 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Getting <a long> time is, <laughs> I grew out of it. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays when, when Don says, Oh, I've got to go off on with uh, big D for an overnight. I'm like, okay, I hope none of my other partners find out and I get a night to myself. <laughs> okay. Oh, I was, gosh. I was literally yes. just having a conversation in, in a, like a group coaching group that I'm leading right now for men. And this conversation came up where it was just like early on, it's this like awful, like, gosh, I have to find something to occupy my time while my partner's out and I don't have any other plans to now where it's like, thank God, like finally (laughs) (laughs) out of here. I I let people know. I have people come to me all the time that are like, so what do I do with my time? I miss them. And I'm like, it's okay to miss them. I, I, I certainly went through that. So, but, um, yeah, it just, it, it gets better. You know, that's what I do. Mm. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll figure things out, trial and error. But uh, there, there, there's another tool for that as well. For trial and error? <laughs> the trial and errors? Yeah. The working journal. I, I want to just oh. to, to comment, yeah. if, if I could. The thing, Dawn, just this little throwaway statement Dawn just made. It gets Uh-oh. better. It gets me in trouble all the time. <laughs> this one's okay. <laughs> That's one of the, the huge things that we teach when we run workshops and shit is that, look, I dig the fact that you're going through this shit and it's hard. It gets better. I love mm. being able to point out people um, like ourselves, like other people that we know that said we all went through this stuff. And and at this point, when I tell Dawn, oh, I have a new a new partner and this partner is um whatever completely opposite of whatever you are don just kind of shrugs and she says oh cool well i wouldn't i need the house thursday so go do something else it's like okay all right so just a little quick sidebar if any of your listeners think man how do you get how do you get through all this crap it gets better it's one of the big messages that i want to make sure that people realize when i also warn people that when they read the book it's a lot of tools that we learn because some things get crappy. Mm. It's not all crappy. So mm. don't read the book and think, oh my God, there's so much work to do. Yeah, there's work to do, but there's a lot of amazing times and it's well worth it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I was going to say with it getting better, that's definitely something that I've tried to instill 
in my clients, some clients are straight up just ask, does it get better? Please tell me it gets better. And it's so nice to be like, yes, it totally does. Um, But with other people, I find it's like, oh, does it get better? Okay. How did you make it better? What did you do to make it better? What was the formula that turned you overnight from like the larva into the butterfly? And that, that, yeah, that I always have the hardest thing because I'm like, well, it was time and a lot of shitty feeling situations, honestly. Like, I think that's the hard one is a lot of this. When I try to tell people, I'm like, trust me, you're going to get used to your partner going on dates with other people, your partner's going to get used to you going on dates with other people. And I think there's something about saying that, that my perception seems to rub people the wrong way. Cause it's almost Mm. like when you say you're going to get used to it, I think people hear it as a like, Oh, you're going to get resigned to it. And your life is just going to suck because you're so used to your partner abandoning you all the time. When, when like you're on the other side of it and you're like, no, 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 you're going to get used to it. And it's like, not going to torture you the way that it did. It's going to feel like a regular Tuesday night, you know, or you're going to feel happy because you finally get to stay in and watch the TV that no one else wants to watch with you. You know, they're not going to learn that except through experience. I only learned it through experience. He went out with someone else. He came back. He went out. He came back. I went out. I came back. I experienced this thing that, Dan and I don't do together. I experienced it with Big D and I came back. And, you know, mm-hmm. Big D doesn't worry about me finding other people because I come back. And that's the, the words just are not going to make the difference until they experience it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like, like an analogy that I've been thinking of lately is maybe this is just for myself, but if I think back to when I first started dating, period, mm-hmm. it was a freaking roller coaster, right? It was like, (laughs) everything was life and death. Like everything was just so intense. Any breakup was just heartbreaking. And, you know, every moment, you know, you're terrified or you're overly excited and making a fool of yourself. And there's like all these things that as we just date and have relationships, whether that's with the same person since middle school, or if that's with lots of different people, you just kind of like, the whole thing becomes more normal. It doesn't mean it's not exciting, but it's not like world ending all the time. (laughs) And I feel like non-monogamy is very similar. It's just, you're like, you're having to start over because you just haven't done this. You're just like a teenager at the beginning. Yeah. And one of the other things that I share with people, and it's actually a recent development from, is the whole idea that I'll be okay. Hmm. No matter what happens, because I can't say that, Dan and I are going to be together forever or me and big D are going to be together forever. You know, so, so you do have that fear of breakups and starting over and all these things. But if you can get to that point of, but I'll be okay. That was a big game changer for me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh, but that's, that's hard for people, even in monogamous relationships like that's, um, I mean, we, we talked just about, a, yeah. yeah, we talked about some of this because we had a few weeks ago, we had, um, uh, Annalisa Castaldo, she's a Zen um, ordained Zen priest, uh, talking a lot about like Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist thought as it relates to relationships. And that was very much her foundation was like, you have to, you have to learn to acknowledge that it's like all your relationships are going to end badly. Basically either 
Right. You're going to die. Either you're going to die or, or you're going to break up. And, and it's like, and, but you have to know that somehow you'll either you'll be okay or you'll be dead, basically. Right. <laughs> if, if you've already talked to her, then you're probably picking up that we've got Buddhist flavor. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're down with the Buddhist flavor. Big help. That whole re- releasing attachment and yeah. not, not, what is that? Not clinging and not pushing away. Yeah. And when you can get that, it kind of balances things out. A bit. I'm not always good at it, so but <laughs> <laughs> it is a good philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So finally, something that we talk about a lot on our show is gratitude, and I think that this is another thing that you sort of have pointed to, um, which is the joy or the compersion journal. And Don, you said that you journal a lot. I know Jace does for sure as well. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about that as well. So I think in the book, we call it the compersion journal, but um, I also call it the joy journal because I do journal a lot. And I was going through a lot as we were shifting how we were doing poly. And um, so I would write and I would write and I would write. And of course, it's all angst and it's all negative stuff. And it's, you know, why am I broken? Why can't I figure this out? And, you know, why am I not farther along and crossing these hurdles? And, you know, and then one day I came across everything that I'd written and things that I had taped on the little mini recorder that I had. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a basket case. Why, why am I doing this? This is, this is, I'm, I'm on the nutso side here. So, and, and I would show Dan and I'm like, am I always like this? Is this what you're living with? And he, he pointed out that the dates on there, he's like, no, what are you talking about? And he pointed out that the dates in my journals were, it's like over a decade and mm. the dates have been getting further and further apart. Right. Oh, cool. And what I figured out though, is that I hadn't been documenting any of the good stuff. I was only writing the bad stuff or the stuff I was going through. So I'm like, okay, so we're shifting this because I, I can't look back on these journals again. It'll, it'll drive me crazy. So I bought a pink leather bound journal and I decided the only thing I'm writing in it is joyful stuff. Mm. So joyful poly stuff. And every time I would get that ping of compersion or that ping of, of joy or that ping of something, I'd go grab my journal and write it down. Right. And what I found was, was that I started looking for the happy stuff. Instead of always focusing on the jealousy and always focusing on one more thing to work on, I was focusing on the happy stuff. And it totally changed my energy and my perspective with, wow. with working with relationships and stuff. And it's a great I, tool to, it's a great thing to be able to pick up when you're not feeling mm-hmm. so great about polyamory and go, Gee, why am I doing this again? To have a, your <laughs> own word chronicling why you are doing this to, to say, oh boy, that, that how nice it was when uh, Dan had that look on his face or da, 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 whatever it is that you've put in there to have your own manual to say, Oh, I guess this is, a, this is working for me. It is working and, and it's happy stuff. So yeah, I, I really like that. But like I said, the main thing I got from that was it started shifting what I was looking at when I would be, go to poly support groups and they're like talking about compersion and they're all happy about it. And I'm like, Oh hell, I don't even know if I've felt it before. And then I'd look back on my book and, oh, yeah, I felt it many times. I just forget Mm. to remember that. Mm -hmm. That's so incredibly powerful, just that idea of like shifting your perspective from negative to positive, because Mm -hmm. I think so many of us tend to focus on the negative and remember negative interactions over positive ones. And for you to just kind of force yourself in a way 
to go and write down and be able to look back at those positive interactions or positive moments within yourself. That's so huge. And and what a great takeaway. What a great tool for mm-hmm. yeah, bettering your not only yourself, but like just your polyamorous journey. That's huge. Mm-hmm. How yep. great. That might be one of our biggest tools we didn't talk yeah. about. Determination. Ah. <laughs> when something doesn't work, we try something else. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I love that. It's, you know, I think that's Fake it till to, you make it. Yeah, right. well, always, yeah. the banner that I'm always waving is uh, self-efficacy, which I think is is um, related to determination. But, you know, carrying this belief of like, I do believe that I can do it. I can figure it out. And carrying that belief helps you to actually figure it out, you know, as opposed mm-hmm. to carrying this belief of like, oh, I don't actually think I can do this. I don't think I can figure it out that that actually affects yeah. what your results are. And I think determination is very um, related to that or seems closely linked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, yeah definitely. Yeah. Well, so we only got to cover a few of the tools that you cover in your book. Um, where can listeners find more about the two of you, about these tools, and about your book? Uh, the polyamorytoolkit.com is where you'll find the book, or you can just hop over to Amazon like everything else in the world and look for Polyamory Toolkit. And then everything else Dylan and I do, you can find at eroticawakening.com. That's where the, the podcast, the presenting, any yeah, other book activity we have going on, the, the, the events, deck the deck of cards. Good gosh. <laughs> we, we were a little bit busy over there <laughs> just a little bit fantastic <laughs> well thank you so much um so for our listeners we're going to spend a little bit more time talking with dan and don in our patreon bonus episode if you want to get That's access we're tell you about the special tool oh the, the, oh, the oh, real oh, secret that makes oh. all the rest of them yeah that makes the rest of them dumb and useless oh. Oh. <laughs> all right that's that's a, the best teaser we could ask for <laughs> Uh, so if you want to get access to that, go to patreon.com slash multiamory, become one of our patrons there. And we'd love to see you in the bonus episode. We would also love to hear what all of you think. Have any of these tools resonated with you? Have you purchased the book already? What did you think about it? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com, leave us a voicemail at 678-MULTI-05. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 